friends, lend me your engineers. Cameron, did you hear that? Did I hear what? That's the sound of breaking news. In August, Dr. Huang and her co-investigator, Dr. Carolyn Patton from the University of Florida, were awarded a National Institutes of Health, NIH, R01 grant titled Adaption of Brain and Body Responses to Perturbations During Gait in Young and Old Adults. It's funded by the National Institute on Aging. This is a five-year grant totaling about $1.46 million dollars. The award is the first ever R01 grant for a faculty member in the UCF MAE department, and it is also the only active R01 grant headed by an assistant professor here at the University of Central Florida. The R01 provides support for health-related research and the development based on the mission of the NIH. So... Good work there. Congratulations, we Dr. Huang. We will actually Huang. have Dr. Huang in the studio in a couple of weeks. And uh, as a special, a special treat, we will be strapping Cameron into um, into the research apparatus in the in the brain lab. I, I don't think I consented to that. Well, it doesn't matter because your uh, your participation is uh, mandatory. So. Oh, okay. <laughs> Glad to know. So last week in our first episode, we talked to Dr. Andrew Dickerson about the mechanics of mosquitoes. And this week we have uh, part two of that of that interview with Dr. Dickerson. But before we get to that, I'd like to introduce a new segment to the show. This is a trivia contest where we ask the listeners and Cameron a question based on the previous episode. So Cameron, are you are you prepared for this trivia? I know you were physically here during that interview. I don't know if you listened back. Um, it, it was more of a disembodied experience. I, I, was, I was here, but mm-hmm. I wasn't wholly here. I understand. Um, so you may not do fare too well. So I'm going to ask you this question now. And then at the end of the show, we'll come back and see if you can get the right answer. Okay. And there is a prize. What is it? Mm, I don't know. We'll, oh, we'll okay. figure that out later. Gotcha. Um, so, okay. So in our last episode, Dr. Dixon talked about his research studying the mechanics of mosquitoes. And he mentioned that before settling on mosquitoes, his lab experimented with other insects. Dr. Dickerson specifically mentioned two other insects and several reasons why those bugs were not a good fit for his research. So the question is, name those two insects and the reasons he gave for why they were not optimal for laboratory research. So listen to part two of the Dr. Dickerson interview, and then we'll be back afterwards, and we'll see if Cameron can get that question. We'll see. We'll see. So you're originally from Georgia, right? Yeah, Carrollton, Georgia. So you, that's the the peach state. That's right. So is, are peaches big there? What's Why is it the peach state? You know, um, it seems like every other street in Atlanta is named, you know, peach tree this or peach tree that. Um, and certainly Georgians are very proud of being from the peach state, but I, I, I can't recall ever seeing large peach groves in the state. I know they must exist. Yeah. Um, but actually our, you know, Georgia's biggest crop is peanuts mm-hmm. and blueberries. I didn't know about the blueberries. Didn't know about the peanuts though. I think historically is the uh, largest peach grower in the country or what have you. But um, now it's all about the peanuts. Mm-hmm. As it should be. Yeah. And of course there was cotton as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, but we don't talk I'm about not, that. Not, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so is that where you went to school? 
Yeah, I um I I grew up in in a little town called Carrollton about an hour west of Atlanta and um spent all my primary school days there and even the first couple of years of undergraduate I attended the local university there in Carrollton the University of West Georgia um and had had in my mind that I was going to go to Georgia Tech uh, when I started at West Georgia and thought okay well you know rent here is free tuition's cheap they offer the same sort of core classes as Georgia Tech does why not stay and uh kind of knock out these first couple years of core classes and then move on. And that's what it did. Was that always the plan to, uh, to get your bachelor's and then go on and get your PhD and just keep going? Not at all. Um, I, I certainly, when I was in high school, knew that I was going to go to college because, mm-hmm. I mean, I, you know, I did, I did well in high school. I made good grades and everything. And that's just mm-hmm. what people that did well in school did, sure. right? You know, you go to college and get your meal ticket so mm-hmm. you can get a nice job and sit behind a desk instead of you know, working in the weeds, work, working in the field or, or, <laughs> picking, or picking or, the peaches or working behind a cashier's desk. Um, so that, you know, that was always the plan. And I it really hadn't get, given much thought even about what major I would go into. I, I knew that I enjoyed math and science. Right? When I say enjoy, I mean, I, I tolerated it more than the other subjects. Mm-hmm. Right. And thought, okay, is there, there, there's got to be a nice degree out there that can combine math and science and the potential to make, you know, a good salary. And, um, so I, so I settled on engineering because of those reasons. And, um, you know, then it was, then it was like, you know, what sort of engineering do I want to do? And, um, like I said, didn't give that all too much thought, even, even as I started college, just thought, well, you know, I'll go do some sort of engineering and, and, uh, you know, I looked around at the different majors being offered, et cetera, et cetera. But uh, really, you know, wasn't looking past a bachelor's degree. What changed that? I arrived at Georgia Tech with the idea that I was going to graduate with a bachelor's as quickly as possible and leave school, right? Um, you know, by the time you're 20 years old, um, you've been in school you know, 15 straight years, you're, you're, you're kind of ready to do something else. You're, sure. you're ready to, to, uh, not, not be a student anymore. Mm-hmm. And, um, that was certainly my intention and stayed that way my first couple of years at Georgia Tech. And as I was kind of nearing the end, um, as I've done with, with certainly other, uh, pursuits in life, I thought, you know, I think I can stand a little bit more. Mm-hmm. I think I can achieve a little bit more. Mm-hmm. And, I'll be thankful that I've done so. Um, you know, I was looking down the road, so I thought, okay, I'll get a master's degree. You know, certainly I can, I can do, I can do that. And I heard about this BSMS program, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, they were saying, you know, just one more year, one more year past a bachelor's degree, and you can have a master's degree. And I thought, oh wow, only a year? That's not that bad. Yeah, I can do that. So I applied to this program, and uh, sort of concurrently um, was was tossed around the idea of doing undergraduate research. And um, I was speaking to a few different professors about doing undergraduate research and, and kind of what I, the message that I took away from speaking to some of the other professors was, you know, you're going, you, you, so you, you, you're interested in research? Well, yeah, you know, I'm interested in trying this experience out. I think it might be useful. And uh, do you, do you want to go to graduate school? Yeah. Yeah. I'm thinking about doing a, you know, the BSMS program. It's like, well, well, why not a thesis? 
Well, because it takes another year, you know? Yeah. And the master's degree is master's degree, right? Yeah. Well, no, not really. If you want to do research and development in industry after you leave school, you really need to do a master's thesis, you know, at bare minimum. And I thought, oh, oh boy, okay. <clears throat> well, I, I certainly don't want a, a master's degree that I've paid for that I don't, I'm not really, you know, going to get the full benefit from. So mm-hmm. I kind of, uh, you know, convinced myself that I could, I could stay another two years, mm-hmm. you know, do, do a master's thesis and, and, and get the research experience in graduate school. Um, and of course, about that same time, I, I did find my undergraduate research mentor who happened to be my fluid mechanics professor. And my fluid mechanics professor would would um, ironically go on to be my uh, graduate advisor. What you have to understand about this this guy um, David Hu, who um, was really I think in his first semester of teaching at Georgia Tech when I met him, was he was unlike every other professor that I have met, and and I can still say that to this day. His his outlook on science and on research was um, so. So much different mm-hmm. than than anybody else I had ever met. Um, this guy pursued topics not because he thought that they were going to be world changing or that he was going to make an extreme impact in the field. He pursued topics because he just thought they were interesting, and that led him down some really unusual research paths. And um, I was able to see glimpses of that in his teaching and through the the little bit of interaction I had with him in class and in office hours and things. And um, he he really struck me as a guy that I wanted to work for. So I approached him about doing undergraduate research, and he agreed to take me on uh, the, the following semester as uh, as an undergraduate researcher. And that really started my undergraduate, or really started my research career. And, um, you know, little did I know how, how long a research career I would have, mm-hmm. but I, I really thought it was going to be, you know, sort of isolated to that one semester. And then as the semester kind of drew on, I thought, okay, well, I can stay for a, a master's thesis. And, um, and that's, that's kind of how I accepted the, uh, the reality of going to graduate school. I, I had a couple semesters left. I had an, a semester of undergraduate research and then a semester following that where I did capstone design and actually did capstone design under the direction of David Hu. At least he sort of um, managed my project, so to speak, gave us the idea and um, gave us you know further direction as we went through the semester. But in any case, you know, he, he had agreed by that point to take me on as a graduate student in his lab. I'd had a great experience with the undergraduate research. And yeah, I, I, I can't remember exactly how close to my graduation day this was, but um, I was sitting down in his office one day and um, I'm, I'm sure it was probably in the fall leading, uh, leading up to my graduation, right? So I, I was going to leave uh, or well, walk with a bachelor's degree that dis- that December, and he said, "You know, have you ever thought about doing a PhD?" Well, no. Don't you have a? You have to have a master's degree to do that, right? And I don't want to be here another six years. I've already been in school long enough. He said, "No, no, no. You don't have to have a master's degree to do this to do a PhD." Um, you know, from the day that you start graduate school, I can have you out of here with a PhD in four years. So, you know, by this point, I'd already convinced myself I could do another two. So I thought, well, 
what's another four? <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. So, it, you know, it's, it's really, <laughs> really all about these digestible chunks for me. Right. Yeah. Um, of course I didn't, I didn't agree immediately. I really, I really did step away and think about it and, you know, thought about the, the, the number of years I've got to be in school and, mm-hmm. and the salary that I'd be missing out on mm-hmm. if I, if I went to work sooner and all that stuff. And, um, I decided to do a, I decided to do a PhD because I was absolutely kind of enthralled with the idea of overcoming the challenge. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't do a PhD, I think like many people do, because I was uber curious about, you know, the the research field that I was going into. Um, I did not do it because I wanted to be a, a professor. Mm-hmm. Um I just wanted to do something that was hard and over overcome the challenge and appreciate the the recognition, the title, the the sense of accomplishment for the rest of my life, right? Um I thought, you know, what that's a worth, worthwhile investment I put in 4 years and then mm-hmm. I get to reap the benefits for the rest of my career wherever my career takes me. And um so I I did eventually say yes to taking a PhD position with Dr. Who and um was so glad that I did. Uh, had I had I not met him, had he not had this, you know, kind of this series of chats to coax me into the the position, I would have never gone down that path. It would have really never <clears throat> crossed my mind, um, mm-hmm. you know. Um, but 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 now I sit here very thankful that that I was open to these opportunities that were presented me. What was it like as you were working towards your PhD? If it felt like I was never going to finish school, <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> to be honest with you, I'd committed to doing a PhD, so I was in it for the long haul, and um, I, I knew that I knew that there would be some dark days. My advisor warned me, you know, you really need to know that you want to do this because there's going to be some days where you just don't want to do it, and, mm-hmm. and he was right. Um, and and it, you know, I again, you know, more coursework, you, you know, more more of so, so sort of the same stuff I had had it, it, as a a bachelor's student, but just to a higher degree, more mm-hmm. difficulty, mm-hmm. more work, I know, more pressure. Um, well, when you say pressure, is that is that self-pressure? Is that pressure from external forces? I think, I don't know if it's necessarily, it's probably, it's probably a combination of both, right? You're expected mm-hmm. to, to perform at a higher level in graduate school than you are um, as an undergraduate. And you have to balance more things. You have to balance coursework with the expectations of your advisor. Um, you know, moving experiments forward, kind of, kind of managing your own research project to a certain degree, um, all the while still being in your early twenties and wanting to have some sort of semblance of a social life. Um, so I can't, I can't say that it was all fun because it wasn't, and I. I certainly didn't appreciate a lot of experiences at the time. Um, I certainly ex- appreciate the experiences I had a lot more in retrospect. Um, at the time, what I did know was that I was performing research that was very unusual within the confines of mechanical engineering. And, um, you know, I was, I was almost bashful to talk about it with other people because um, mm-hmm. they would say, all right, well, you're in, you're in graduate school going for your PhD. That's awesome. You know, what kind of research are you doing? 
And it's like, oh, well, I'm, I'm watching dogs shake off water and trying to figure out the <laughs> physics behind that. And uh-huh. you, you always, they always kind of give you a little bit of a puzzled look, yeah. right? Like you're doing what? And then they say, well, why is this important? Mm-hmm. And I would feed them some line about, you know, well, you know, we're, we're like really looking at the, looking to make, you know, self-cleaning robots and stuff like that. What, you know, often what I really wanted to say was, I have no idea why this is important. <laughs> um, you know, as it's, it's a project that was given to me and I'm going to do yeah. it to the best of my ability mm-hmm. and um, it's, you know, going to lead to a degree. So that's really what I'm concerned with. Um, I, I certainly don't have the, quite that cynical view of science now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, but there was there were some days where, um, you know, I certainly didn't know why I was doing it. But um, but I so so, yeah, I had a very unique graduate experience with a very um, eccentric advisor that I've really grown to respect and appreciate. And uh, he he was very creative and he, and he challenged us to, to think about new experiments, new ways of, of doing things, new ways of, you know, filming water ejected from fur, you know, for example. It's like, how are you going to visualize this? You know, can you strap a camera to an animal's back? It's like, I don't think that's going to work. But, you know, can we do something else that, that is in the spirit of that, that we can... Um, you know, that we can, you know, use to tell the story, you know, and it's all about telling the story. Um, Doctor Who is a master storyteller. And, and I certainly came away from graduate school, uh, I hope, you know, with, with at least some of that ability. So there were dark days, you said. Yeah, there's dark days where I'm wondering, you know, why, why am I hitting, uh, am, am I, re- you know, I'm you know, now 24 years old or whatever it was, 25 years old, and I'm still hitting insects with raindrops and thinking, is this, is this what my life has become, you know? Um, but, but along the way, it really did pick up some, some skills that, of course, I mean, that's what graduate school is for. Um, but of course you pick up technical skills and, and you pick up, uh, experimental skills, but I also picked up skills that I didn't necessarily, uh, plan on. And that, uh, one of those is scientific communication and the, you know, the ability to think logically through, uh, a, a problem and you think, okay, how can I tell this that is convincing and clear, whether that be in a, in a paper or in a grant proposal or in a presentation. So I'm super thankful to, to, to have, have garnered that experience. And certainly the, the topic matter of the research we were doing helped that. Um, my research was of course, unusual, right? You know, when yeah. I looked at insects and I looked at mammal shaking and these different things, and these different things caught the attention of a lot of media outlets, particularly around publication time. So I was, I spent, you know, the the, the couple of weeks following a following publication of one of my articles, I would spend a lot of my day talking to news and media outlets, you know, reporters from Popular Mechanics or National Geographic or whomever it was, um, trying to hit the high points of my research and, and try to figure out what is interesting to a general audience. And, and, you know, and that's, that's something that I can use now when I'm thinking about STEM outreach and how can I, you know, make this relatable to young kids and get them interested in science, et cetera. So, you know, like I said, not a lot of skills that I necessarily appreciated, appreciated at the time. Um, but the, you know, these, there were a collection of experiences you know, be, because of the nature of my research, because of the the personality of my advisor, that um, 
you know, I, I walked away from, I think, uh, with a fuller experience of graduate school than I would have had otherwise. Um, but in any case, I didn't fall in love with academia. Um, I tried to do everything that I could with excellence. I tried to get it done as quickly as possible because I wanted to move on past graduate school and, you know, start making real money and have a, have a real job and normal life. And I saw the untenured life of my advisor, and that wasn't a life that I wanted for myself. I didn't want to be, as I call it, a professional beggar. Um, I didn't want to think, oh, gosh, if I don't publish so many papers, I'm going to lose my job. Um, you know, it, it wasn't it wasn't even on the radar for me. I, I, you know, the grass is greener on the other side. I'm going to go out to industry. I'm going to have an, an eight-to-five job. Um going to have a great salary and, you know, nice home. And then that's going to be that. So I left graduate school uh, with, with the promise that I would never return to academia. You know, I threw away all my course notes, um, threw away all my notes from qualifying exams. You literally tossed them in the trash. Well, I, I, pro I probably left him in my graduate office and said, Harry, you know, if anybody can use these, you know, uh -huh. said, good riddance, I'm out of here. Uh -huh. um, you know, I'm free. <laughs> <laughs> Dr. D is out. Uh, so, so I, I, after, after some soul searching, um, and, and many job applications and the frustration that goes with trying to find, trying to find the, the, the fewer jobs that are available to PhDs. Um, I took a job with an aerospace company and the, the, the plan was I was in this kind of fast track program. They're going to move me every nine months to different facilities. And if every facility has its own product line, it's, you know, different management structure, different culture. Of course, it's in a different part of the country and an even different part of the world. And I'm going to engage on these sort of, you know, they call it advanced research and technology projects where we look at expanding the company's technology to new products or to new industries or, you know, bringing in kind of the latest and greatest from other sectors into the product family. And, um, you know, it sounded really great on the surface. And I, I, was ex I was excited. I showed up excited and, you know, pretty quickly realized that, wow, this job moves a lot slower than I'm used to. And, um, you know, spending a lot more time in Microsoft Excel than I thought I would, you know, that sort of thing. And um, I am really grateful for the experience. I met a lot of amazing people, a lot of really smart people. Um, I got to live in, uh, you know, where, where I started the Southeast and we moved to Arizona, we moved to the UK, we moved to Oregon, you know, had, had some great experiences. And, and um, I really treasure the years that I, that I spent kind of moving around with that company. And, um, and I, and I, I wouldn't trade that and I, I would make that same decision again, but what, what working in that company, particularly in that industry made me realize, um, that I wasn't cut out for, for that sort of job. Um, I needed something that was going to provide me more challenge, more freedom of thought, um, kind of the ability to pursue the ideas that I had in an unrestrained way. And, I guess the ability to stand on my own or to to fall on my own, um, and I, I started thinking about okay, what other job can I have that will provide me some of these things that I value and some of the things I feel like I'm missing right now. You know, I would, my my out my professional outlook was 
well, I'm not going to say it was grim, but mm-hmm. it didn't excite me. Mm-hmm. You know, I thought, man, you know, if I stay in a job like this, I'm going to look back in 20 years and really regret not having done something else, having spent that time doing something that excited me. So I started kind of putting all the pieces together and thought, what job would offer me the opportunities to be free in thought and to, you know, research some cool ideas and to kind of get back into the technical stuff, you know? I mean, I was to that point, I had a PhD, right? I was kind of bred in a technical environment. And I thought, oh, no. All arrows are pointing back to academia. Mm-hmm. I thought, hmm. So when I was in denial for a while. Um, no, uh, maybe even shame to some degree. I thought, no, you know, I told myself I'd never go back, you know, mm-hmm. and I, I value consistency and, you know, making a plan and sticking to it. And and uh, anyway, so I, I, I swallowed all of that and sent an email to my advisor. And it, you know, was said, you know, I said, Dr. Who, this is an email that I never thought I would write, but I am contemplating a career in academia. And he wrote back like a proud father, um, which I don't know that that made me feel better or worse, but, um, you know, immediately uh, offered to to help, you know, help me prepare my application materials and and uh, kind of learn the tricks of the trade, you know, kind of get back into that 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 swing of things, because I'd been out of it at that point for nearly two years and, um, you know, didn't didn't do a, a postdoc postdoc like most PhD graduates do. And um and really, really that the industry experience that I did have, I think acted like a postdoc in many ways. It exposed me to so many different technologies and manufacturing techniques and, you know, a little bit of management and business and, and, and these sorts of things that I wouldn't have gotten otherwise and, and certainly wouldn't have gotten in a postdoc even. So, so anyhow, so that transition back to academia was um, certainly aided by my advisor and a lot smoother than I thought it would be. Um, you know, from my small apartment in England, uh, where we were living at the time, I started to apply to all the, you know, academic jobs and places I can find in places that I could see myself living. And, uh, eventually, you know, one faithful day, got the, um, got the email from UCF saying, Hey, you know, we saw our application. We're interested in a Skype interview. And that's really how it started and how I, how I ended up here. Is that Rodrigo you hear from first? I th- I don't recall. I think it was kind of like uh, you know blanket uh, MAE search committee, uh, uh, and I think they even had their own email address. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not sure who was behind that one. Maybe it was even Noreen. I don't remember, but uh, you know, shout out to Noreen. <laughs> um, so were you uh, the the opportunity to come back to the states, be closer? You know, not in Georgia, but closer to Georgia. Was that exciting or did you want to be sort of further away from home? No, I'm, I'm, I'm a homeboy at heart. Really. I, I love the South and, um, you know, had, had a good job presented itself to me in Georgia. I was certainly would have taken it. Um, but no, I'm, I'm, I'm excited to be here, excited to be back in the Southeast, uh, closer to home, closer to sort of the things that are familiar to me. Um, did not did not shy away from the southeast at all. In fact, I applied for every faculty job in the southeast I could find. So, mm-hmm. so the fact that I was able to, um, you know, kind of land here within within a day's drive from family was is a blessing. 
All right. We want to thank Dr. Dickerson for being our guest for two straight weeks here on the uh, the podcast. We asked him to come back for week three, but he was like, no, that's enough of you guys. I've had enough. So uh, before the interview, we said that we had a trivia question, and that tr- trivia question was... During episode one, Dr. Dickerson mentioned two insects that he experimented with prior to settling on mosquitoes, but they didn't work out. He gave um, a couple reasons why. So Cameron, what were the two other insects besides mosquitoes that Dr. Dickerson used? If I remember correctly, mm-hmm. um, there were two types of flies. Okay. Um, one was a fruit fly. Mm-hmm. The fruit flies were too small. Yes. Um, and the other was, was it a horse fly? Can't remember. I, be, I believe he said housefly. Housefly, that's the what it was. The common housefly. The, account, the common housefly. Yes. And the reason that he gave for the common housefly was because um, common houseflies will crawl in small areas mm-hmm. instead of flying. Mm-hmm. They can't be um, kind of motivated yes. to, to move, unlike mosquitoes, which they sense the carbon dioxide in the air, and so they'll fly. The other thing that he said was if you're in a lab with the common housefly, they smell yes. really, really badly. Um, and you don't want to have other researchers who are not related to your fly research mm-hmm. in a lab where they smell. Very good. And and just to round out the, the question, there was one uh, alternate reason given. Um, you don't know when the housefly will emerge from their pupae. That is, yes. Mm-hmm. He did Which I that. thought was the most adorable reason. All right. Well, very good, Cameron. You win the prize to be determined at a later date. Um, I want to thank everyone for listening this week. We will be back again next week with a brand new episode. Uh, you know, as long as there are no hurricanes, obviously. Da, 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 da. Yeah. So you can send us an email. Lend me your engineers at ucf.edu. You can follow UCFMAE on Twitter and Facebook. That's at UCFMAE. Well, I want to thank everyone for listening. And uh, as always, it's a great big, beautiful tomorrow shining at the end of every day. And tomorrow is just a dream away.